0: You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, your copy of the Scriptures. We're back in the book of Ephesians. Now, in order to step out of the trees and see the whole forest to gain perspective, you really need a high vantage point. You need to see things from above. I uh, grew up in Marietta. That's where I'm from, Marietta, California. And Marietta is situated in kind of the foothills of the Santa Rosa Plateau. So the Santa Rosa Plateau, this mountain range that kind of outlines and then the valley, Marietta, Temecula, and so on. Now, if you live in Marietta, all you do is look up at the Santa Rosa Plateau. It's this big wall, okay, this big kind of mountain range. Um, But if you actually hike the Santa Rosa Plateau and you look down at the city of Marietta, you, see, you think from the bottom vantage point, you look up at the mountains and you think, oh, Marietta is generally flat, but if you go up to the Santa Rosa Plateau and you look down at Marietta, you actually see that it's not flat at all. It's really a hilly city, and the city is nestled in different hills and built you know, on top of hills and down below hills, but you don't really see that or embrace that from the ground level vantage point. I, can't, I, I will not forget the first time I flew in or over New York City, flew into New York City, and as you fly in, you see the city from the aerial view. It's an amazing sight. But you see the whole peninsula there, downtown Manhattan, and it really looks like a Lego city. These small little buildings. And you get to identify the different buildings. You see the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, and, and so on. It seems manageable. People look like little ants, but you look at the peninsula and you think, oh, I could walk from one side to the other, no problem. Well, if you've been to New York City and you've walked the streets, you know walking from one side to the other is a long haul. It'll take you more than a day to get through that large, large space. And those Lego buildings are now steel monsters that seem to go right through to the stratosphere. They are so tall from the ground level. It changes your perspective, doesn't it? The two views of the city are completely different. You have the high vantage point, the aerial view, that offers a fuller picture of reality. This city is small in comparison to the vastness of the earth. It's really a small dot on the world's map, New York City. But the ground level view of that same city seems to offer a different experience if you only knew the city from the ground level and never saw it on a, as a state or, or uh, as a part of a state or on a world map, it could really distort your view. You could begin to think that New York City is the center of the world. You could begin to think that it is the sum of the world if you've never ventured out beyond it. Perspective matters. Now, if you think about in relationship to our salvation... You have the high vantage point and you have the ground level. Which vantage point or which view do you think me and you have of our salvation? Well, we have the ground level view, don't we? We only know what we have experienced on earth or what God has revealed to us in the scripture. As far as some of you know, you think your salvation story started with you. Or it started with a decision you made. My salvation story started when I gave my life to Jesus. That's where a lot of us start in our testimony, don't we? I made a choice to follow Jesus in 1968 or 1974 or 1989, whenever it was for you, or 2005. And that is the point where my salvation started. And a lot of us, we base our salvation on our own experience, and it starts with our choice. Because, to be fair, that's all we know. It seems that way from the ground level, doesn't it? But if you think that your salvation story, I'm talking about you if you're in Christ, if you think that your salvation story starts with your experience, or starts with your choice, I'm afraid you have a very distorted view of reality. Your salvation did not start with a choice that you made. It started with a choice that God made. And Ephesians chapter 1 shows us that very clearly. Now, some of you may not like that. Morgan, that doesn't sound right. I really did choose to follow Jesus. I made the decision, and that's where it all started for me. Undoubtedly, listen to me, undoubtedly you did choose to follow Jesus. It was real surrender. It was genuine faith and repentance. It was not a programmed or robotic response. It was a real choice, yet... There was a choice made before yours. And we have to embrace that because it's a truth that is taught to us from the scripture. See, God has the high vantage point, doesn't He? He sees the full story. All of history and time is laid out before Him like a scroll. He is outside of it all, He is far above it all, He's in sovereign control of it all, and He gives us the aerial view in Ephesians chapter 1. He shows us heaven's perspective on our salvation. He reveals it to us in Ephesians chapter 1. And if God didn't reveal it to us, we would not know because we're here again at the ground level. But it is amazing, amazing truth here in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to assure you before I start this message that I have no alternative agenda here. In preaching this text, this text does talk about election. This text does talk about predestination. Some of you might be thinking, listen, you Calvinists, all you guys talk about is election and predestination. Uh, But listen, this is where we happen to be in Ephesians and we can't skip over these words. And we're expositing the scriptures going verse by verse through this book. And so we have to confront these ideas. We have to see what God says in the scriptures. I want to encourage you this morning. just want to encourage you, as I have as well, to lay aside previous bias. To lay aside even conclusions that were previously made. And I'd like to encourage you to lay your whole life down before the word of God. To lay your whole life, your mind and your heart before the scriptures. To surrender to what God says, not what I say. And submit to his word. Because his word's important, amen? Not mine, but God's word. And so my desire is to just be a good waiter. I want to take the food from the kitchen and serve it to the table without messing it up. So let me uh, go to the Lord in prayer once more and ask that he would enable me to do that and for us to receive his word. Let's pray. Dear only Father, God, we come before you humbly looking at oh significant truth in your word. God, these are magnificent thoughts that you've presented to us. And just approaching them, we want to be a humble people. We want to hear what you have to say about our salvation story. God, we all know and we all agree that our salvation story is not centered on us. It's not about us. It's about you and your glory and your work. and, And you deserve and you alone deserve all the praise For what you've done in our lives. So help us, Lord. Help us as we come humbly before your word. Help me. Shut my mouth, Lord, and I pray that you would open yours. And that, God, your word would fall on the ears of the audience and those listening online and even those in this room, auditorium, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, this whole section here, uh, verses 3 to 14, Today, we're just looking at verses 3 through 6. But 3 to 14 here, Paul describes the big picture, like I said, of our salvation. It's heaven's view of salvation, God's view. And it's really cool. You see the three persons of the Trinity in this passage. You see the Father's work in salvation, the Son's work in salvation, and the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. And Paul almost separates them up by section. And today, the emphasis is on the Father. On the Father. Why don't you look at verse three there? Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So you see from the very beginning, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father. Father's the emphasis here. And then it's, it's, a, it's a song of praise. You see the blessed be there. That could be translated praise be to God the Father. And you see praise again in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones notes that the Apostle Paul seems to be like a man who's conducting a great choir and an orchestra to sing the praises of God who alone is worthy. This uh, verb here, blessed be, uh, I'm going to try not mess this up, Eulogetos, it's used eight times in the New Testament, and it is never used of people or directed toward people. It is always directed to God. Oh, blessed be God in Him alone. Because, listen, God alone is worthy of our praise, isn't He? God alone, He's worthy of our praise, and there's two reasons That God alone is worthy of our praise. Number one, He alone is worthy because of who He is. He's he's simply worthy because of who He is. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Psalm 135.3 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Psalm 99.9. We read this, or Wes read this this, uh, earlier in this service. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. See, we simply can praise God for who he is. He's perfect in holiness. He's perfect in his greatness and his goodness. He's worthy alone because of who he is. Number two, he's worthy of our praise because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. In this song of praise that we come to in really verses 3 through 6 and ongoing to 14 it focuses on what God has done. Of course we always see his character manifest in his actions, don't we? But Paul gives us in this verses 3 through 6 really, he gives us three reasons to praise the Father. Three works that the Father has done that you are the beneficiaries of, the You've received the benefit of three reasons to praise the Father in this text. And I, I again, hope that you are blown away that you have experienced such glorious grace from Him. He alone is worthy, and we are absolutely not. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked, Jeremiah 17.9 says. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. Often we desire to do what is right, but we are unable to carry it out, Romans 7.21 says. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64.6 says. Yet it is amazing, mind-blowing, in his unfailing love, that he chooses a wretch like me to be his son. I'm blown away. And I hope that, believer, this impacts you today as well and stirs you to a greater love and worship of God. That should be our response when we hear God's word and hear truths about him. So three reasons to praise the Father if you're taking notes. Number one, praise the Father because he blessed us. Praise the Father because he blessed us. Look at this, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Places, Bless God because he's blessed us. What's the nature of this blessing? Well, the text says it's a spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's not private jets. It's not Lamborghinis or million-dollar mansions. It's not an earthly or worldly or material blessing. It is a distinctively heavenly and spiritual blessing. It's the benefits that we receive by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual blessings. And we know, and I've taught this earlier, Galatians chapter 5, that those of us who are in Christ also have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what are those spiritual blessings that every believer has through the Holy Spirit? Let me just name a few. If you'd like to write these down. What are some of those benefits? Well, number one, you are permanently indwelled by God. John 14 says the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is with you forever, and He will be in you. So you have God in you. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a benefit to your life? He'll never leave you. He'll always be with you. The second benefit, spiritual blessing, blessing that we have that God has bestowed upon us, poured out upon us, is a spiritual understanding of His Word. Believer, you understand things about God's Word that unbelievers cannot even dream to understand. The natural man doesn't understand these things, and you, believer, have your spiritual eyes opened to them. That's a blessing, isn't it, in this life? You also have spiritual gifts, The Bible says that every true believer, every person in Christ, has been given a spiritual gift and you're to use it to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Isn't that cool? One of your spiritual blessings is to have a unique gift that is unique to you, God designed, God given, and that you can use to serve others and bless others. That's a spiritual blessing. You have spiritual wisdom. There's another spiritual blessing, a spiritual benefit. Colossians 1.9 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled all the more with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Believer, if you are in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have wisdom that this world does not have. You have the ability to take knowledge from God's Word and apply it in your life in a way that the world cannot do. That's unique. It's a spiritual blessing. And it only comes from the heavenly places. Lastly, I just want to mention that one of the spiritual blessings you have is the, the power and ability to deny fleshly desires. We learned this a, a while back, Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you have the Spirit in you, you have the power and ability to deny the flesh. The world does not have that power and ability. They are given over to the flesh. Jesus says they are slaves to their flesh, slaves to sin. You are not under that kind of bondage as a believer. That's a spiritual blessing, isn't it? And those are just spiritual blessings that are given to you in this life from heaven. You can't imagine the spiritual blessings being stored up for you, the inheritance you will receive, believer, when you make it to heaven. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us everything we need. What did Ephesians tell us? Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We have everything we need, every spiritual blessing that we need to live God-honoring lives. What's more important to you than living a life pleasing to the Lord? What earthly or material blessing do you want more than the heavenly and spiritual ones? We're so blessed by God. It's as if God took this infinite bucket and poured out upon His children His Spirit with all His its benefits, his benefits, from the heavens, and he lavishes us with priceless gifts. We can be truly happy. We can be truly satisfied. We can be truly joyful in the spiritual blessings of God. The question for you is what earthly or material blessing is stealing your joy? We're so easily distracted from the spiritual blessings that we have given to us by God, our Father. Amazing. Bless Him, for He has so richly blessed you. So first, praise the Father because He blessed us. Secondly, praise the Father because He chose us. Look at verse 4. Even as He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless Before him. There it is, the word choose or chose. We're going to talk about election, which means to choose or to be chosen. And then in the next verse, predestination, predestined. Those are two big Calvinism words. Let's just be honest, let's get that out of the way. That's what makes us or causes us to be labeled Calvinists. Now, I don't really like that label. Uh, here's a bit of a soapbox. I don't like being called a Calvinist, even though I affirm these doctrines, because I think it gives Calvin too much credit and too little credit. Here's what I mean by that. It gives Calvin too much credit because it makes it seem like these doctrines came from him, and they didn't. They come from God's Word. We see in God's Word this, these words, to choose. God chose us. He predestined uh, so it wasn't calvin's idea this is god's word it's his idea so it gives him too much credit for that and also you know I, I don't believe everything calvin said or wrote there are some doctrines that calvin held to that i don't agree with so being labeled a calvinist i don't follow all of calvin's doctrines he was a fallible man he was a sinner saved by grace just like you and me so he wasn't right on everything So anyways, I think it's too broad of a label. It gives him too much credit. And at the same time, I think it gives Calvin too little credit. And what I mean by that is that Calvin didn't just write about election and predestination. He wrote the Institutes of Christian Religion when he was 27 years old, the first original copy that was published. And it's about so much more than predestination and election. Calvin writes incredible, incredible essays on the doctrine of Christ. Defending the deity of Christ. He rock, wa- writes about the doctrine of the Trinity. He writes about the doctrine of the church. He writes about all these other doctrines that every Orthodox Christian would say, yay and amen and verily to. But you know what? They limit Calvin to election and predestination. Ah, oh, he's just the election guy. No, oh, that's too, selling him short. But anyways, Calvinism, too much credit and too little credit. So I'd like to avoid that label. And at the same time, quote him. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He writes greatly on the topic. He said, this is the first cause of our calling. And of all the benefits and blessings God bestows upon us, he chose us. The first cause. He chose us. Echlegomai is the word. It means to call out or to select some from many. The word is used throughout the scriptures, by the way, not just found here in the book of Ephesians. I have a couple of passages to show you. The first is Deuteronomy 7. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used. And here's what God says to Israel as he explains why he selected them. He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you see, he chose some out of many. Look at verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Don't be deceived in thinking you were great. God didn't choose you because you were great. He emphasizes the fact right here. He he chose them despite the fact that they were small. He says this, verse 8, this is so important. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. John 15, 16, Jesus explains his selection of his disciples, says it very clearly. 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Same word. Jesus talking about the tribulation through which a, a remnant will come to salvation through the future tribulation to come. He describes them as those who are chosen and elect in Mark thirteen twenty, He says, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved during that time. But God designates a specific amount of time so that some are saved. He says this, but for the sake of the elect, those who are chosen whom he chose, he shortened the days. So that's just other areas of Scripture that talk about God choosing his people, not based on their merit, but simply because it was his will and his love motivated him. This word back in Ephesians, he chose us, is in the middle voice. That indicates a personal interest. God did something that benefited himself personally. So listen, it would be comforting to know that you were not placed into heaven's lottery and just another ball spinning. And book number 15, Morgan Maitland. That's not how God chose us. He personally chose us. Notice when he chose us. Look back at the text here. Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Calvin writes, the very time when the election takes place proves it's free. For what could we have deserved or what merit could we possess before the world was made? Excuse me. Uh, I remember, as some of you might, lining up on the court to be hand-selected for the dodgeball team. Do you remember this? Maybe some of you don't. I don't know when you were chosen in the lineup. Maybe you were a top five choice because of your pure athleticism. Others maybe average toward the middle. Maybe some others, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, were grateful to be picked at all. Obviously, everybody wants to be picked higher because it means you're more valuable to the team. And it could have been for different reasons. One, yeah, you're obviously athletic and good at dodgeball. Maybe, though, the team captain chose you Just because you were his or her friend. And they would feel bad if you were chosen last, right? So they kind of gave you the relationship trumps athleticism pick. Maybe the team captain thought you were cute and wanted to pick you first to declare their love for you. Variety of thoughts that go through the team captain's head when choosing the team. But you know that his choice is determined based upon some sort of value that you bring to his team. Thinking about universities that receive thousands and thousands of applications. They've got thousands of applications to choose, you know, maybe a couple hundred students from. And so they read through the applications. What are they looking for? Well, they're looking for a GPA, a high GPA. They're looking for a high SAT score. Why? Well, to put it bluntly, they would like smart people to attend their university or motivated people, or determined people, or people that have proven themselves to have a good work ethic. Why? So that they would bring more value to the university. They could say, yeah, these are our graduates who we are proud of. Oh, not so much the dud who barely made it through middle school, right? There's some sort of value that those who are choosing or making the selections are looking for for their team or for their university, Let's think for a minute about the lineup that God saw. The human race that he chose from. This will help bring it into perspective. Did did we bring any value to the team? Was there any inherent good in us that would give God a reason to choose us? I'm going to let the scriptures answer that question why don't you turn in your bibles quickly to romans chapter 3 romans chapter 3 again did we bring any value to the team was there any inherent good in us that would give god a good reason to choose us what is romans 3 god's word have to say The end of verse 9. And I'll read on. Paul says, For we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks, all are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God. Before their eyes, Isaiah 53 says that all, that's everybody, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's not an ego boost, to say the least. I think we give ourselves too much credit. We'd like to think that we brought some, of, some sort of value to God's team. We'd like to think that there was some good in us that God saw, and that's why he chose us. We'd like to at least think that we had the desire, the good desire to be saved, and God foresaw that desire, and so therefore he chose us. But here's the aerial view. Here's the view from heaven. All of humanity throughout all of time is running in a full sprint away from Him. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God, Romans 3, 11. Everyone throughout all of time has scattered themselves wanting nothing to do with God. That's what the scriptures tell us, Romans chapter 3. Nothing good, no desire. And by the way, all is comprehensive. That's everybody. That's you and me. All. All have sinned. All have turned aside. Every one to his own way. So, with history laid out like a scroll before him, he foreknew our rebellion how we would malign his name how we would break his law multiple times and break his heart how each and every one of us would deceive ourselves into thinking we're good when our hearts are horribly horribly wicked and if left to our own desires and devices we would run and swan dive into the fiery pits of hell That is our state in sin. Yet, He chose us. There it is. That is the gravity and the amazing, glorious riches of God's grace. That is the amazing, mind-blowing reality of God's election, that despite of who we were, he chose us. The question is not, why did God only choose some? The question, of course, is why did God choose any? Why? That's a good question to ask. Why? Why did he choose before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him? For the same reason he chose Israel. Do you remember what he said in Deuteronomy? Love. Love. True and genuine love. Before the world. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb. Before Adam and Eve, before the world, in love, he chose you. Isn't that amazing? God loves you. Oh, how great is his love for you, that he would chase you down and save you from your own sinfulness. And save you from its destiny. 1 John 4 says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation to take the wrath for our sins. That is love. Amazing love. Love that is difficult for our heads to comprehend. Difficult for our heads to get around. But He so Loved us that He chose us. Notice at the end of verse 4 there that we should be future holy and blameless before Him. God didn't chew us chew us. God didn't choose us because we were holy and blameless. God chose us that we should be holy and blameless. He set us apart. He sanctifies us. He saves us and prepares us for glory. It's his work. It's His work. So, of course, that should lead you to praise God. Of course, that should lead you to worship God. Worthy is He and Him alone. He chose me, a wretched sinner. Why? Love. Love. Oh, amazing, amazing love. And by the way, that same love, just because you believe in election doesn't negate your responsibility as a believer to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance and also to share the gospel. Listen, we are not hyper-Calvinists, as that label says, where all the elect, they'll come to salvation some way or another. It's God's will, he's going to figure it out. No, we know through the scriptures that God uses human means, agents, to carry out the gospel. In the same book, Romans, as I read from Romans chapter 3, Paul says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. How will they hear? How will they believe if they have not heard? So we do have a divine and it's amazing. How do you how do you put that paradox together? God is absolutely sovereign. Yes and amen. We are absolutely responsible. Yes and amen. Where does it hit? We'll have to ask him when we get there. One of those divine divine truths we affirm the realities of both yet we trust him we trust him in the midst of that in the midst of that faith it's all worked out in his head it may not be worked out in ours praise God because he's blessed us praise the father because he chose us and then he goes further praise the father number three because he predestined us there's that big word, predestined, predestination. Some think it an ugly word. I think it's beautiful when you consider the reality of what Jesus says here. Or, sorry, Paul. Well, yeah, Jesus too. All scriptures inspired by God. There I corrected myself. Literally, the meaning predestined is to determine beforehand. How is election different from Predestination. They seem similar. Well, just to help help us understand this, predestination refers more to God's eternal plan to save. Choosing or election refers more to how God executes his plan to save. So predestination is the plan. Election is the execution God chooses. Also notice, again, the personal nature of this action. God is not in the sky going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Eternal life, hell. Eternal life, hell. No. This is a very personal, personal plan. He predestined us for what? For adoption. That's a beautiful word. For adoption to himself as sons. God's plan was to have a family. Have kids. Not through some kind of divine biological birth, as maybe the Mormons or other religions would say, you know, Jesus and Satan being the biological children of the Father. But his plan was to adopt. Interesting, interesting, to adopt. Now, in order to understand really the gravity of this, you have to understand Roman adoption. Because during this time in the Roman Empire, Paul was definitely referring to something illustrating what God has done through kind of a human uh, term, adoption. And you have to understand it in the Roman times. It's a little bit nuanced and different than the adoption that we know of today. See, the reasons that Romans would adopt sons was to preserve the family name and to maintain property ownership in their line. So if a family... uh, a husband and wife, could not have sons, they would look into adoption. But they would need to be wealthy. They need to have money because adoption was costly. In fact, here's what's interesting. To adopt legally, the adopter would have to purchase the boy three times from the natural father. He would purchase the boy as a slave twice, then the adopter would release him back to his natural father. And then the third time, he was able to finally purchase the boy's freedom from the natural father. And in that transaction, once legally adopted, the boy would be formally released from any obligation or responsibility to the natural father. And he would be legally declared the son and heir of the adopted father. It was an incredible privilege and joy for any boy who is living in impoverished circumstances to be adopted by a wealthy Roman. It was an incredible privilege and joy because this new son would be given his new father's name, he would be given all the benefits and privileges afforded to a natural son in a wealthy family, and immediately he'd be given rights to all of his new father's estate. Would instantly become very wealthy. Again, the point was that when the father dies, he can pass on his name and maintain property ownership in the bloodline. So with this in mind, let's consider and compare our adoption into God's family. Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, and we're going to get there, that we were once sons of disobedience, slaves to our own sin. Our natural father was not good. He was a liar. He was abusive. He would lead us on with his ploys and leave us feeling empty, neglected, even hurt, and hopeless. That's where sin leads you, doesn't it? That is our natural father apart from Jesus Christ. But God's plan was to adopt us, to save us from that natural father. He pulled us out of bondage. He took us away from the abusive father of sin, and he bought our freedom. And it cost him a lot. It cost him his own son. He was willing to crush His own beloved Son on the cross in our place to pay for our ransom. It was the only way by by which a perfect sacrifice can take our place. It was the only way to adopt us as children. And now, because of Christ and the Father's love, we have full access to a new Heavenly Father. We can approach his throne with confidence, the scripture says. We have all the spiritual blessings and privileges in the heavenly places, our new home. We bear his name. We are joint heirs. And one day we will receive the inheritance dreams could not imagine. But why? Why? Because remember, Roman adoption was for the incentive of when the father dies, he could pass his name on and on and on. Our Heavenly Father does not die. Therefore, they would maybe be confused as Paul writes this because we, we don't bring value to the adoption. See, in Roman times, the adopted son would bring value to the family. He's able to pass his inheritance on and carry on his name, but it seems as though we bring no value to this heavenly transaction. Why did God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. You have to let this phrase hit you at the very end. According to the purpose of his will. In other words, because he wanted to. Again, nothing in you or me, nothing according to our merit, no reason outside of himself, caused him to do this. The motivation was only and solely within him. He loved and he wanted to adopt you as a son or daughter. He wanted you as his child. He so loved. And it was according to his good pleasure, the text could be translated here, according to the good pleasure of his will. We can't even begin to grasp the incredible grace and riches, and love of God our Father. We have to marvel at it. That's why Paul, in verse 6, he can't do anything but praise Him. He says, To the praise of His glorious grace. Grace, a gift that you did not deserve, was given to you by our Father. Oh, that should cause us to praise Him, to worship Him, To bless him above all else. Amazing, amazing truths, amazing realities. Now some of you are upset with me. You're upset. Because you've noticed that I keep skipping significant phrases. Have you noticed? Maybe some of you good students of the word. You're reading along. You're going, you're skipping something. That's intentional. Because I want to highlight its significance here. I'm going to read again Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and I'm going to emphasize the phrases I've skipped. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who is the agent through which all of these spiritual blessings flow? Jesus Christ. No blessing comes to us. From the Father, that isn't mediated through the Savior, the Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ. Only, in other words, the only way for you to receive this kind of spiritual blessing from God the Father to be so blessed, to be chosen, to be predestined, the only way is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this himself, John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip's confused. He says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here we are talking about the Father's blessings that flow to us, the Father's glorious grace. He chose us. He predestined us. But listen, you need to hear this. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Father, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, if you are not in Christ, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. That's how these blessings flow through flow to you. It's through Him. You know, it would be similar to meticulously planning your vacation to Hawaii, but you miss the plane flight. It doesn't matter how much you've studied about Hawaiian culture. It doesn't matter that you've packed your suitcase a week early. It doesn't matter if you've planned out the whole trip, hour by hour, minute by minute, every activity you're gonna do when you get there, if you miss the plane. You're not going. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. If you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sin, and trusted in Him and Him alone for salvation. And you have not experienced the rich blessings that come to you from the Father because it all comes in Him. He is the only Savior. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only access we have to the Father's blessing. So while I tell you, and it is true from the Scriptures, that God has so richly blessed us, He has chosen or He has elected us, or chosen us, He predestined us, while I tell you that God is sovereign in salvation, I also tell you, young man, young woman, man, woman, wherever you're out in life, that you are responsible to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. You must trust Him. You must be in Christ. In Christ. So respond today. Respond today. I don't know whom God has chosen. If I... If there was a stripe on your back, maybe like Spurgeon, I'd go around lifting up the back of your shirt to see if it's you or not. But I don't know, so I proclaim the gospel to everyone. And I share the good news of Jesus Christ that some would respond and be saved. And I trust God for the outworking of that. Jesus made a way through his life, death, and resurrection for us to be right with the Father. Believe on him today and be saved. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian or want to respond, then you have to talk to an elder before you leave today. Or talk to the person who invited you. Grab one of us and talk to us. We would love to walk you through that conversation and help you help you come to grips with Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for you. And we're going to learn so much more about the son's incredible work of redemption next week. We looked at the father and then the son next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We worship you and just blessed be, blessed be. We are in awe of your magnificent grace. We are marveling that you would so love us. And we want to be greater of, worshipers of you today because of those truths and realities. God, maybe we can't reconcile it all in our own heads, Lord, but we want to submit to your word, trust that it is true. Believe in what you've said and just remain faithful as it is our that is our responsibility, God. And trust that you will work all sovereign things to your glory and you will work in us and through us and do an amazing work here in our lives and through the impact of Summit Bible Church in this area, in this region. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.